I think if we were all to sit down and work together to try and find a couple of things that maybe all of us in the room have in common, it might take us a little bit of time. Maybe we would sit down and talk about what are some of the places that we've gone or the activities that we've been a part of or experiences that you've had or maybe food that you've eaten or a trip or whatever. If we were just to sit down, it might take us a little bit of time to all of us to come up with one thing that we all have in common. However, as I was thinking about it, I started to realize that there's probably one thing. I think there's one thing that all of us in the room probably have in common. And more than likely, when we were really little, we participated in it. And if we didn't participate in it when we were little, as we got older, we probably helped somebody else that was younger than us participate in it. My guess is that every single one of us in this room have at some point or another watched Sesame Street. Okay, if you haven't, just keep your hand down because you throw off my whole illustration. But um, my guess is that most of us have watched Sesame Street. We've seen some of those great moments where, where Bert and Ernie are working together and discussing how to overcome their fear of the dark. We've watched as Oscar has showed that it's okay to live and it's acceptable to live in a garbage can. Just limited mobility. Kind of stuck there. We learned how to count and always knew that at the end of counting it included... Ah, right, as Count Dracula helped us. Now, for me, Sesame Street has a little extra special meaning. And uh, the reason is, when I was a freshman in high school, our family, we had an exchange student that came, uh, came over from Japan. And when she arrived, she brought gifts for each of us. My, my, three brother, my two brothers and I, she brought us all gifts. And for whatever reason, she thought we would all appreciate a hand towel with Sesame Street characters on it. As a high school guy, that was really exciting. But I, I, decided, I decided, hey, I'm going to make the best of this. And so what I did is I started taking that towel with me to all of my basketball games. And so I would play basketball and I would have that with me on the bench. And when I'd come out, they, I would have it and I'd drive, you know, whatever. And I had it through high school and then I had it through college. And then I've started coaching and I'm coaching again this year. And so I've just had this towel with me all the time. Had it with me all the time. And one of the things about this towel, and, and actually the reason I don't have it is because I start practice tomorrow and I made sure it was already at the gym, so it's there. But anyway, uh, this towel has done a couple of things for me. Number one, you know, just the basic, like, usually I just wring my hand. When I'm playing poorly, I would just put it all on the towel and throw it away. But more than that, it reminded me, let's have fun. Like, this, you know, Sesame Street is fun. It reminded me, like, don't take life so seriously. Don't take the game so seriously. Just get out there and engage in the process. It also reminded me that it's the basics. It's the basics of basketball that make the big things possible. It's the, the basics of life that make the big things possible. With Sesame, Sesame Street, it was the basics of life that make the big things possible. Right? When you start to learn those small things, you begin to build on those small things, and it makes the big things possible. That's why on Sesame Street, each episode was brought to us by a letter. It was brought to us by a number. And then we started to take those letters and we would grow on that. And we would take those numbers and we would start to learn to count from that. And each of those numbers would grow and those letters would grow. And eventually we started to have the word of the day. And so for this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the word of the day and the word of the day is great. And out of great and out of the basics, we want to begin to grow out of that. And the word great, it's powerful. I mean, think about this. When you feel great... You're typically convinced that you could pretty much do whatever you need to do. You feel like you've got what it takes. If I feel great, I've got what it takes. If we recognize that there's an object or an action that somebody does and we're like, oh, that's great. Usually we saw that they had what it takes to be able to pull off whatever that was. And as a result, it was great. 
If you've ever spent time in the Northeast or kind of the Northern Midwest, possibly you've seen one or more of those five very large bodies of water. Lake Ontario, Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, Lake Erie. We call those the Great Lakes because they're great. Maybe you've heard of the gentleman that was rather impressive in his military campaigns, very skilled at this, and eventually he conquered the entire known world. His name was Alexander the Great. I was thinking about Alexander the Great just a little bit, and I started to wonder, like, when did he start introducing himself that way? Because if you start too early, it's a little weird, right? Like, man, that is a really large sandcastle you've just built. What's your name? Alexander the Great. Too soon, right? It's just a sandcastle. But once he you know, conquered the known world, like, oh, Alexander the Great, it fits, right? Had, I'm sure the timing of that was tricky. In China, they were being invaded by the Mongolians again and again. And they decided, you know what? No trespassing signs, not working. So they built the Great Wall of China. These things are great. They're impressive. They're huge. And when an object is great, we take notice. When a person is great, we acknowledge it. When an accomplishment is great, we recognize it. And anytime you and I encounter greatness, it produces a reaction. It produces a response from us. And we never wonder, hey, am I going to have what it takes to respond to greatness? We just respond to it. You and I, we have what it takes to react to greatness. We have what it takes to respond to greatness. If you ever have an opportunity to be introduced or meet your lifetime hero, there's no part of you that's wondering, will I know how to respond in that moment? And when you meet greatness, you've got what it takes to be in awe of that individual, right? When you happen to witness or watch a great feat or a great physical achievement, whatever that physical achievement is or whatever it is, we have the ability. You've got what it takes to respond and we stand up and we cheer and we applaud because we've seen greatness. Now, sometimes when we get into the church or we look at churches, we're not sure about greatness. And in just a second, we're going to start talking about this idea of responding to greatness. And sometimes what the church tells you, the way that you need to respond is we talk about this idea of giving financially. And sometimes when we start talking about giving financially, we start thinking, well, the church isn't all that great. And the way the church has handled money isn't all that great. And at times, churches haven't handled it great, and maybe it hasn't warranted giving money. And so we hesitate when we start talking about giving. But this morning, what I want you to recognize is that you and I don't contribute financially to what the church is doing because it's a requirement. You and I don't contribute financially to the church because the church needs your money. You and I don't give to the church out of guilt. Those things shouldn't be it. If those are the reasons, if we give out of a requirement or because the church needs it or we feel guilty, it won't last. It won't last because we'll just be sort of responding out of this this pressure. And we, we don't really have what it takes to give willingly for those reasons. Guilt, pressure, manipulation, those don't work. But you and I do have what it takes to give back financially to God when we begin to acknowledge and recognize how great he is. That's when giving begins to take on a new place in our lives. I want to look at this remarkable story We find the story in the Old Testament, but it's actually referenced in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's trying to convince us, he's trying to help us understand what our position is before God. 
The writer of Hebrews is desiring to show us what the role of Jesus is and how it plays in making us right in our relationship with God and restoring that relationship with God. Within the book of Hebrews, we get to see how God views us and how through a relationship with Jesus, we get to become a child of God. And if all of that is possible and if all of those things are taking in place, the author is ultimately demonstrating how great Jesus is and how great God the Father is. And so the author, in an attempt to help us see how great Jesus is and how great God is, decides to remind the original reader of a story that they all were familiar with. It's maybe not a story that we're familiar with, but we're going to start with a reminder in Hebrews 7, and then we're going to go back to the actual story. Here's what the reminder of the story says. In Hebrews it says, Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now, I just need to make you a promise. I'm going to show you something in just a minute. But before I show it to you, I need you to just take a leap. Okay, I'm not going to give you all of the evidence. But before I give you all the evidence, I just need you to take a leap with me. And if you're not really ready to take a leap with me without all the evidence, then just kind of hang tight, listen, hold on, and then know that the evidence is coming. But here's what I want you to recognize. That within these verses right here, it never mentions Jesus. It never mentions God. Like you read those verses, there's no mention of Jesus. There's no mention of God. There's just two guys. Two guys, if, if their names were ever a puzzle... On the wheel of fortune, and you bought a vow, either A or E, you'd be like, Yeah! A and E, ding, 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 that's a good 250 well spent. Abraham sees Melchizedek. We don't know anything about Melchizedek. But Abraham responded to Melchizedek and gave him a tenth of the plunder that he'd just gotten out of battle. So here's the leap I need you to make. In the Old Testament, Jesus appeared as Melchizedek. What? That's a big leap. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a big leap. That, there's not a lot of verse right there. I'll give you some more evidence in just a minute. But for just a second, I need you to trust me. We're going to go on a little magic carpet ride. But I want to show you some things. I, wanna, I want you to begin to understand what's happening here. And as we begin to see the greatness of Melchizedek, we'll begin to see why this works. Now, this isn't just my guess who Melchizedek is and what he's representing. Theologians and scholars and people way smarter than me would say that Melchizedek is, is showing up. He's an appearance of Jesus. If he's not the appearance of Jesus, he's a, he's a representation or a direct substitutionary figure of Jesus. And later on, when we go back to the original story, I'll give you more proof as to why that is true. But here's what I want you to get before we move on. Abraham acknowledges, Abraham recognizes that Melchizedek is great. So in reality, what Abraham is acknowledging and what Abraham is revealing is that Jesus is great. Abraham recognizes that Melchizedek is great, and ultimately Abraham is recognizing that Jesus is great. And his response is that he gives him a tenth. Now, sometimes you and I hear Jesus is great, and we, oh, Jesus is great. Yeah, I'm supposed to remember that Jesus is great. Why is Jesus great? What are some of the... Let me just give you a few of the things that as you go through life, when you see these things, don't forget that Jesus is great. I have absolutely no desire to have another one of these. But every time I see a baby. Or hold a baby or listen to somebody else's baby cry. I realize Jesus is great. I mean, how amazing is that, that you've got this little tiny person. 
designed with all of the body parts all crammed into one little body. All of the parts fit. All of the organs have been shrunk down into this tiny little package. Jesus is great. He's created this precious little baby that's completely helpless, totally needy, that can blow out a diaper. And you're like, where did it all come from? And yet their parents still love them like how that alone. That's amazing. This little monster. And then Jesus orchestrates it so that this connection happens. That's great. If you ever watch the waves crash against the cliff again and again and the power of that crashing. That repetitiveness begins to show us if we begin to recognize that Jesus designed that Jesus is the one that created that that begins to represent the strength and the consistency and the persistence. Of how great Jesus is. If you ever have the opportunity in the evening to to gaze at a sunset and watch as Jesus sort of paints an ending to the day. Painting with these magical golden browns and these incredible streaks of red, you could have had a terrible day. And as the day wraps up, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Don't forget. But this is what I'm providing for you. There's there's a new look for tomorrow. Today was rough, I know. But there's hope for tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll start fresh. But but let me just wrap up the end of this day with something amazing for you. Jesus is just saying, I'm bigger than whatever happened today. I'm going to walk through tomorrow with you. And, and here's just a, rep, a reminder of how amazing I am. Step outside at night and look up in the stars and study the moon and look at all of the amazing stars that are out there. And as you begin to try and grasp who is holding all of this together, who has allowed all of this to continue, they must be great. The fact that there there was a designer that created these stars that would shine so brightly we could see them from so far away and designed a moon that doesn't shine at all. But unless this other star shines against it, what? That's crazy. It's this crazy great design that Jesus designed, that Jesus is holding it all together, designed it all. Jesus is great. And Abraham encounters Jesus in the appearance of Melchizedek, and he notices that Jesus is great. And in that moment, Abraham demonstrated what you and I do when we notice that something is great. Abraham gave us an amazing example of what we do when we discover greatness. It's what you and I have. We've got what it takes. And it's what we should do when we find great. When something is great or someone is great, giving is no longer an issue. Have you noticed that? It's no longer an issue when something is great. Abraham noticed Jesus is great and he gave him a tenth of all that he had just acquired in a battle that had just happened. This happens for you and I all the time. You have no issue giving to something that's great. The preacher starts talking about giving to the church and people start, we start fidgeting and looking at our watches and counting the lights in the room and like, why did I come this Sunday? And there's this tension that starts to grow because we approach it wrong. We approach it with, oh, they're just saying, give me your money, but we're not approaching it, recognizing that Jesus is great. Because think about every area of life that you find that's great. You have no problem giving to that. You think the, the new iPhone seven is great. You willingly give 700 bucks to it. Maybe that's something up. Maybe you think fresh organic carrots are great. Then you give your time and your energy to grow those carrots or you give your first child to get a package of them from Whole Foods. <laughs> but you're will you're like, they're great. So I'll give for that. 
I don't, have you heard of this new Broadway musical that's happening called The Hamilton? Have you heard of this thing? It's a hip-hop rap-style musical. Okay, that doesn't make sense. And it's about the life and political career of Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers. He loved rap music. <laughs> they found his journal. A lot of, like, you know. This thing is blowing up. Musicians of all different styles are enamored with the music of this thing. It's great. There's other playwrights and actors and entertainers that are raving about Hamilton. There's politicians and celebrities and business tycoons that can't get enough of this. And tickets to go see this great play, this great musical, $1,600. And many of them are going back multiple times. Because it's great and there's no issue giving to that. And some of you are like, that's crazy. But then you took your family to Disneyland. <laughs> the average family trip, and maybe you figured out how to do it cheaper, but the average family trip to Disneyland, six to $10,000. But why? Because the place is great. It's so great. And we're like, well, let me give you some money so I can have a ticket. And that Dole Whippy is so great. Let me give you some money so I can have a bowl of frozen pineapple. And the mouse is so great. I'll stand in line for hours. We give and we give and we give because it's so great. And we go to Disneyland and we give and then we give and then we give and then we give and we love it. Because it's so great. Did you know you never leave Disneyland and think to yourself, they were just after my money. All they ever do is expect me to give. They just keep wanting me to open my wallet. And then they spend it to reach other people. We don't say that. Because we're like, it's so great. And because it's so great, giving's not an issue. And when you and I begin to recognize how great Jesus is, giving begins to become less of an issue. Because of what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus provides. And because of the way that Jesus works in our life. And when we begin to recognize that Jesus is great, then you and I have got what it takes to give willingly. Now, I promise you some proof that Melchizedek was an appearance of Jesus. That Abraham realized that this greatness wasn't just because it was this Melchizedek, but it was something bigger than that. And as Abraham recognized the greatness, he gave a tenth of what he had just received. So we're going to roll back to Genesis and read the original story and find the proof that Melchizedek wasn't just great, but Jesus is great. Here's the story out of Genesis 14. It says, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abraham, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has, defi- who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Let me quickly give you the story before the story. Right before this, Abraham's nephew, a guy by the name of Lot, had kind of lost his mind. Lot had gone a little bit crazy and he was just making a a series of really bad decisions. And he ends up living in a town that he shouldn't have been living in. And while he's living in this city or in this town that he should have been, shouldn't have been living in, one of the neighboring kings comes in and invades that town. And in the process of invading that town and capturing the people, he grabs Abraham's nephew Lot and drags him away. Now, Abraham should have been like, well, you're an idiot. You shouldn't have been living there. But Abraham's like, no, not okay. I got to go rescue my nephew. 
So Abraham mobilizes an army, he finds a little over 300 men, he's like, we're going to go get my nephew. They go, they go attack the king and the ones that had just taken Lot, and they rescue Lot and bring him back. And in the process of rescuing Lot, they end up defeating this army, and in the process of defeating an army, you get all their weapons, you get all their tools, all the resources, you kind of, you know, you get the plunder of that moment. So after rescuing Lot, and after receiving all these things from battle, Abraham is returning and he runs into Melchizedek. And then we find the story that we just read. And it's within these verses that we find evidence that Melchizedek was the appearance of Jesus. First of all, the way that Abraham responds to Melchizedek is evidence. And some of the action of Melchizedek points to this appearance and representation of Jesus. And the first evidence we find is this, is that he was the king of Salem. Salem is another word for Jerusalem. Salem... This idea of Salem and Jerusalem. Melchizedek was essentially the king of Jerusalem. Jesus has some very significant moments in Jerusalem. If you know the story of Jesus, he ascended to heaven just outside of Jerusalem from a hill. Just outside of Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified and buried in Jerusalem. Jesus was defeated death and came back to life in Jerusalem. You may remember the story where Jesus was sitting on a donkey and he rode into Jerusalem. And as he rode into Jerusalem, the people lined the cities with palm branches and they were waving him and cheering and chanting and bowing and saying, you will be our king. All pointing back to the fact that Jesus and Melchizedek are the same. Also, Melchizedek brought bread and wine, a symbol of salvation. As followers of Jesus, one of the traditions, one of the celebrations that we have is the Lord's Supper, is this idea of communion. Jesus came and said, listen, when when you have time, I want you to take I want you to set aside time and I want you to take bread and I want you to take wine. I want you to eat. I want you to drink and I want you to remember what I did for you. Jesus is like, I want you to remember that I allowed my body to be nailed to the cross. I want you to remember that I allowed my blood to be poured out for you. I want you to remember that I did those things that that Jesus chose to allow those things for himself to be nailed to the cross for the blood to be poured out so that you and I could find forgiveness. And the bread and the wine that Melchizedek is now presenting is is a representation of the salvation that would be made possible through Jesus. And Melchizedek was standing there saying, listen, this is the salvation that Jesus ultimately is going to bring and the restoration that he's bringing to Abraham and all of his descendants. So Melchizedek was the priest or was the king of, of Salem. He brought bread and wine. He's also the priest of the God Most High. Which again is confirmed in Hebrews of who Jesus is. That's exactly what Jesus is and does for each of us. In the book of Hebrews, if you continue to read through it, Jesus is described as our high priest. Essentially, Jesus is this individual or is the individual that continually goes before God. Continually goes before God on your behalf when you and I have chosen the forgiveness that he offers. Goes before God and says, listen, don't forget what I did on the cross for them. He goes before God and says, I know that Brent messed up again today. I know that that Brent did some stuff and and it's not okay. And I know that Brent said some things and he used some words that he shouldn't use. We know that Brent responded poorly in that situation. I know it's not right, but, but, but remember what I did on the cross. And Jesus says, remember what I did on the cross and all of those things that Brent did today? All of what I did on the cross takes care of all of that. And Jesus says to his father, let's forgive him because of what I've done. And God the Father says, you got a deal. And Melchizedek is standing before God as the representation, or is standing before God as the representative for Abraham being the high priest of God most high. 
And then lastly, the evidence that Jesus is showing up as Melchizedek is this, is that Abraham responds by giving a tenth out of what he just received. Abraham noticed that Melchizedek was the priest of God Most High. Abraham recognized that Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Abraham recognized that he brought and brought and offered him bread and wine, a salvation. And Abraham responded by giving him out of the plunder that he had received. When you and I begin to notice that Jesus is our high priest before God, that he goes to God on our behalf, when you and I begin to notice that Jesus is the king of Jerusalem and ultimately the king of everything, as you and I begin to recognize that Jesus offers us, us, offers us salvation, our response should be to give. To allow ourselves to acknowledge that he is great. To acknowledge that, that we have what it takes to give because we acknowledge that he is this amazing, great character, individual that works in our lives and makes us right before God. Now, not only does, is Jesus great and do we have this opportunity to give back to him, there are some amazing benefits, some amazing things that happen for us when we choose to respond by giving. The first thing that happens for you and I when, I, when we choose to give is that it protects us from greed. When you and I choose to give to the greatness that we see of who Jesus is, it begins to break the back of greed that so easily rises up within us and those greedy desires that you and I have. So rather than thinking that everything I've got is all for me and those that are close to me, we begin to realize that Jesus is great. And if I will give him back or give back to him some of what I have, he can do more with those resources than I could ever do with them. Rather than just holding them all for myself. The first believers, the first followers of Jesus, they gave all the time and they gave all that they had. They became known as extreme people of generosity there are people outside of the group, people that weren't followers of Jesus, people that didn't understand what they believed, didn't understand why they believed or why they did what they did. They would say all kinds of bad things about these early followers of Jesus, but what they could never say bad about them was that they were greedy. Because people outside of them would watch the way they would respond and they were continually giving, continually giving, continually giving. It couldn't be argued, it couldn't be said that they were greedy. And when you and I choose to give, it protects us. It prevents us from being greedy. Also, when you and I choose to give, it begins to connect us to the heart of God. God gives, and He gives, and He gives, and He gives. God gave His Son. Jesus gave His life. Jesus gives you forgiveness. Jesus gives us what we need. God gives us life. Giving is at the heart. Giving is at the heart of the character of God. And when you and I choose to give, there's nothing that you and I can do that will line us up with the heart of God more than choosing to give. It's at the heart of who He is. Also, when you and I choose to give, it increases our faith. When you and I choose to hold all of the money that we make for all of for ourselves, and basically when we are in control of all of the money that we make, we're trusting all in me. Right. If I hold all of the money that I've made for all for me, then I'm the one that has to make sure that everything gets taken care of. But when I choose to give, when I choose to give back to Jesus, realizing how great he is, essentially, then I'm trusting that Jesus will supply and make up all of the difference. For the areas and the ways that I've given. My faith can't grow if I hold it all for myself. My faith has to be all in me. 
But when you and I choose to give financially, now we allow Jesus, we provide Jesus an opportunity to respond. Now Jesus has the opportunity to make up the difference, to respond to the need that we have in our life. And it doesn't happen when we hold all of it for ourselves. It gives us the opportunity to allow our faith to increase. Also, when you and I choose to give, it unleashes blessing in our life. God's not required to bless us when we don't make room for him to bless us. So if I hold all that I've got, there's no room to bless me. There's no room for God to step into my life. But when we give, now we've opened up a vacancy. Now there's a place for God to pour into our lives. And understand, this is not a promise of a, of a f- matching situation. This isn't, I've given God five bucks and he's going to give me five dollars. But it's not like a, it's not, it doesn't work like that. But here's what you do need to know, is that you can't outgive God. There's no point at which you'll give more, uh, so much, you'll give money and you'll be like, well, God didn't know, he didn't come through. What you'll begin to understand, you begin to recognize that God will give and God will supply. And he'll ultimately give you back more than you've ever given. You begin to recognize that when we give, the blessing is even greater. And God might not give you everything that you want, but he will give you everything that you need. And what's so incredible about the process of God giving you everything that you need is ultimately over time, everything that you need becomes everything that you want. And it wasn't long after this encounter of Abraham where he runs into Melchizedek. And he responds, recognizing Melchizedek is great. And he gives back that God doesn't respond to Abraham and bless him. Abraham has this desire to have a son. Abraham's desire is to have a descendant. And after Abraham responds by giving to this appearance of Melchizedek, listen to how God responds to Abraham. It says this in Genesis 15. It says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Ultimately, Abraham responded. He recognized the greatness and he gave. And then God responded by saying, let me just bless you in a way that you never could have imagined. And I know that as we talk about this challenge or this idea of giving financially, it's tough. I recognize that even if we talk about sort of this logical side of this idea that if Jesus is great, then then when we believe that Jesus is great, then we should respond by giving. I know that's not always an easy step. I know that hearing that that God promises to bless and provide and to to pour into our lives if we'll trust him, if we'll have faith. I know that giving back doesn't all it's not always an easy thing. It doesn't always seem like that's enough to make us take that step. So at Silver Creek, we just like, well, let's help with this transition. Let's help us grow in this, pre- this process. We want to help you grow. We want to help you stretch in this. So at Silver Creek, one of the things that we do is that we offer what we call the giving challenge. Essentially, the giving challenge is this. The giving challenge lasts from now for the next three months. And the challenge is that wherever you're at in your process of giving, that you'll begin to recognize that Jesus is great, recognize how amazing God is, and then you'll respond. And at Silver Creek, we're so convinced that God won't allow you to outgive him that we'll stand behind his promise and we offer you a money back guarantee. The giving challenge is simply this over the next three months, if God doesn't, if you give and God doesn't bless, if God, you don't experience that it's better to give than to receive, we will give you all of your money back. Just pull me aside, say, Hey, you know what? I, I tried it. it. Didn't work. 
Make sure you mark what you gave, but we'll give it back. Right? Don't be like, I gave a million dollars. Okay. We know you didn't, but uh, checks in the mail. Well, okay. Anyway, here's how the giving challenge works. Over the next three months, if you've never given before, the first step is to give for the first time. Essentially, if you've never given to the church, the challenge is give one time. We don't even care how much. one time, just one time over the next three months. Allow God to say, here's how much you should give. Pick that, allow God to direct you to that number. Plan to give one time, pick the amount, pick the date, give one time. That's it. And then if God doesn't respond, if you don't feel a blessing from God, then okay, we'll give your money back. And if you've already given one time, then we challenge you to move to the next step. And the next step is for you to begin to give consistently. So essentially, if we've already given one time, then we just challenge you to give consistently over the next three months. And again, the the amount doesn't matter. You choose. Allow God to guide you. $3, $30, $300. We don't care. Whatever the consistency is, it doesn't matter. You pick it. Could be every week. Could be every paycheck. It could be every month. Doesn't matter. You pick a plan. You select the amount. You pick the frequency. Just stick with it for three months. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've already done that. You've begun to give consistently. Then we challenge you to begin to give systematically. Essentially, giving systematically is just creating some sort of process that you determine what that amount's going to be. And we would typically say, pick a percentage. And so every time you get paid, or every time you make money, or every time you have some sort of income, there's a percentage that you're going to give back to God through the local church. We just say, let God speak to you about what that percentage would be. We're pretty convinced biblically it's 10%. That's what Abraham just demonstrated, a 10%. If you're like, I don't think it's a 10th, we're not going to stop you from 15 or 20%. You get to pick. Like, whatever God says to you, 10% safer, right? Because God might say more. It doesn't matter. Just have a plan. God, whatever it is that you want me to do, God, guide me to the percentage. And then every time you get paid, every time you bring in dollars, every time God blesses you, set that amount aside and and give it back to God and stick with that for three months. And then the last step, if you've already begun to give systematically, is to give extravagantly. If you've already been systematically giving, then the idea is to begin to say, God, if you prompt me to give, I'll give without hesitation. God, I'm already going to I'm going to stick to this percentage that you've led me to. You've established this. We're going to keep this habit going. God, if you touch my heart. God, if you lead me to a certain area to give, I won't wait. I won't contemplate. Is this really? From? No, that's God. Because here's the deal. If you make this step, God knows that's the step. And then he's just going to say, hey, what about that thing? And then you have the opportunity to respond, to allow God to grow your faith in this moment. To begin to recognize how great God is. To begin to sense the greatness of who he is and that he's guiding you to be a part of something even greater. And then to give extravagantly. Again, we recognize that taking this step is not easy. So that's why we've created the giving challenge. Like money back guarantee. You know, we've been doing this for a while and we haven't given anybody their money back yet. God's that good. Every week we provide these green connect cards in your program. And just the challenge is for you to reflect on what is it that you've heard this morning that God is saying to you? What is it that God is challenging you to do based on what you've heard this morning? What's your next step going to be? It's a great way for us to be able to pray for you as God is working in your lives, as we're able to look over these. But ultimately, it's for you to make a decision so that you don't just walk out of here and be like, "Eh, okay, that was fun. What is God saying to you? 
Maybe your next step this morning is just to begin to look around our world and begin to notice what is great. Maybe your next step this morning is to determine if you consider Jesus great. And then maybe your next step is to recognize if you don't think Jesus is great, you don't have to worry about giving. And maybe if you think Jesus is great, begin to take the giving challenge. One of the most difficult things we do in life is respond to Jesus in this way. It's difficult. It's not easy. But I would just challenge you to to respond to whatever it is that God is saying to you this morning. Don't let it be my words. Let it be God's words. The church is not in need of your dollars. We're not after your money. God's just simply after your heart. And one of the things that gets in the way of our hearts most often are the dollars that we possess. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us just this morning to begin to recognize how great you are? Jesus, help us to look around our world and look around our situation, look around life, and just sense the sheer magnitude of you and your greatness. And then, God, would you give us the desire, the motivation to respond to your greatness? Wherever we're at this morning, in the area of giving, in the area of trusting you with our dollars, would you, would you just move us a little bit closer to what you would have us be? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.